Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode four of Big Boss Battles, Big Boss Babble. Here with me this week is Dan. Hello. We have George. Hello. And we've got Toby. Hi. Hey. And to start things off this week, uh, our editor-in-chief, Dan, has been at Gamescom all this week over in Germany. So why don't you uh, tell us a bit about that, Dan? Woo. Okay, that's yeah. It's it's Gamescom and it's in Germany. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll probably talk about some of the games that I saw uh, that yep. were quite that quite impressed upon me. Sounds uh, good. Go for it, sir. That makes sense. I've listed. I've limited this down to nine, which is obviously the magic number. So yeah, let's uh, let's go with that. So so we've got Behind Stars and Under Hills is a new game from Rat King Entertainment, who have done about 20 odd different games. Uh, if you look on there, you'll probably recognise a couple of their games. But this is a uh, this is a strange kind of dungeon exploration game that actually has got a, a story that runs through it. It's still very, very early, this build, actually. But you play as a kind of fox who lives in a world where animals are all humanoid, but it's in this kind of strange colonial time. And you and this ship of kind of a couple of foxes, some cats, etc., have all gone off and to this this kind of not a wasteland, but almost like the wilderness where the tusks live, which are walruses, uh, where your father went missing, and so you go off in search of them. And that was really interesting; had a really solid soundtrack. I think that's definitely going to be one to watch if they keep developing that along the course that it looks like it's going along. Uh, and that's uh, Behind Stars and Under Hills, is that what it's called? Yeah, that's the one. That's definitely worth looking up. Really interesting art style. Reminded me a little bit of Eldrick, if anyone played that, uh, which was pretty damn cool. The next one is from Lucky Mountain Games. And Lucky Mountain Games had Racing Apex there, which I think I've already posted a link through to, to Terry, for Terry to have a look at. But this what was, oh, uh, this, is, this is the virtual racing looking game. Yeah, it looks like the early stage. Destructible races. stuff, yeah. Yeah, and uh, because they've built it in a low poly style and with heavy customization, they've made it so that all of the bits you can customize can fall off. Uh, at its core, it started off as a racing game that would be easy to pick up and play. And then they kind of bolted in a campaign mode and then they put in these weapon modes. And so it very much feels like a hybrid of those older racing games, not that I played many of them and not that I was very good at any of them, uh, crossed with Mario Kart. And I, I think it, it could really be quite a winner, actually, if they keep if they keep going with that and, and doing what, well, what we talked about, really, which was concentrating on the destructibility and kind of leaderboards and such. So, yeah, that's, that's also one to watch. Yeah, I'll be looking out for that. It looks fun. Uh, this one's a bit of an oddity because uh, this was a student project, so I'm not entirely sure actually what the name of the game is. Uh, but it's listed as DYO Game. You can find it on dyogame.com. There's a demo, an eight-level long demo of 30 of the levels, which will come out when the game is done. Uh, it's also known as Minotaur Game. And what it is is there are two Minotaurs on screen, 2D platformer very much, and it's in the classic split-screen layout of left and right. But what happens is you've got a couple of buttons. You've got a jump button. You can, you know, move left and right. And you can rewind time a little bit, which is fairly useful, ties into some of the puzzles. But most importantly, uh, one of the buttons will lock where the split screen bit is. And so if both of you press that button at the same time, then the two screens weld together. 
changing the layout of the map. So one of you might be stuck down a hole, but if the person on the other side moves towards you, and so they're not, you know, stuck in a hole, for instance, and you both lock it, then the person that's on the other side can run through into the other person's half of the screen and then kind of jump, I suppose, onto a platform and jump out of the hole, essentially. And then you can both press the shoulder buttons and then continue maneuvering. So it's really an interesting idea that 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 uses the width of the screen and the way that the split screen works in a completely different way. And it was really satisfying. It felt really good. You You had aha moments when you saw exactly where you had to go and where you had to get the other player. So it's not just one of you kind of repositioning the screen so that the other one can get higher up. Because as well as that, you can stack on one another's shoulders, which allows you to jump a little bit higher. So it's it's a forced cooperative game. At the minute, it's just planned for the PC, although he was talking about plat- uh, consoles as well. Switch really is is the dream on this because it only uses three buttons, which means you could easily do it with just the little... Uh, the Joy-Cons, yeah. That's it, the Joy-Cons. Uh, yeah, I just watched the trailer and this game hurts my head. <laughs> oh, but it is so much fun when you're playing it. It's it's really fun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the trailer probably is probably a bit hard to, to comprehend, I suppose. But, but I just was walking past and I, I saw it was unmanned and went over and I quite like the art style because it has that classical art style because it's obviously meant to be regarding the, the Minotaur in the maze from Greek myths gave it a go the developer came over and we played we played through the entirety of the levels non-stop and it was really good fun cool the next one to talk about i just want to have a i just want to quickly say that no truce with the furies was absolutely fantastic uh, i don't know if anyone's seen anything about that they're they're paired up with uh with humble bundles so that's due to launch on there but it's a it's visually laid out like a old computer rpg uh, like Baldur's yeah. gate icewind dow etc but the real selling point of this isn't necessarily the fact that it's a detective game, which is always pretty cool, having an anti-hero in an odd setting. But it's the fact that when you start the game, you've got four characteristics, intellect, physique, and there's two others that I can't remember now because my mind's completely melted at the minute. And what it is is they each of those can be scored from one to six, these don't change for the duration of the game. But you know how in in uh, computer RPGs, if you've got a really low score in one of those, then sometimes it'll lock out options. And if you've got a high score in one, it might unlock options. And yeah. so they normally kind of use it as a gateway. With this, it's uh, integral to the description and the way that you interact with everything. So it's almost like everything is a skill check. So for my first playthrough, I played a character who was super intelligent. Uh, but because they were super intelligent and they were quoting poetry and, you know, it was pretty full on. It was very satisfying, actually. But because they were so intelligent, they also kept getting really depressed and upset and thinking about the futility of humanity, you know. Well, because everyone else was so stupid compared to them. Exactly. And so there was a negative to having a really high statistic. That's pretty awesome. And because their other stats were low, they couldn't interact with things. So they were kind of getting frustrated that they didn't have the physicality to get through certain methods using that. But but yeah, so the guy was kind of picking up his lost shoe and quoting Shakespeare at it. And it was just super cool. And then the second attempt that I had, I played pretty much the opposite. I played someone with an extremely high physique 
but quite a low intellect. And so they were doing what you would expect. They were doing the whole kind of stupid, can't quite understand what's going on in conversations. But they were unbelievably strong, and you could solve pretty much every problem with violence. The negative is, because they were so strong and because they were so pumped full of testosterone, even when they could solve a situation without violence, they wanted to solve the situation with violence. So literally... They're, they're complete. It's like being pumped up on steroids and angry and mad. So like, I can't, I can't quite put this piece of paper through the letterbox. So I'm just going to smash the letterbox into pieces. And it's that kind of incredible Hulk style interaction. So the most boring way to play the game is to literally go free, 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 free on every statistic. And of what I played of the game that was on, on show, completely different play well not completely different but completely different interactions completely different text from playing as just those two extremes uh the game's also going to have a kind of uh i can't remember what the name of it was i think it was something like a fort chest but when conversations when points come up in conversations uh you get these little uh forts that you that you can equip to yourself that are your mentality uh, so the example that was given was uh, by one of the developers was like feminist. And so when you're talking to characters who, who identify themselves as such, you'll get along better. But with other people, you won't. So once again, it's a game of give or it's a complete game of give or take. It's a game of extremes. And he said, and you might combine that with you might combine that with something else that will work really well with some characters. But you know work even worse with other characters so so yeah that's that's a really interesting game next up is necrosphere so necrosphere is from katnagiri games uh, it's a brazilian brazilian developer actually all it is going to keep this one really short uh, it's a game that uses two buttons so literally button one is left button two is right later on tapping button two twice or button one twice will dash you in that direction and even later on tapping both at once will activate a jetpack which you can then dash from and then move from and it's just a really interesting platformer that's clearly inspired by v v v v v v v v and other games of of the ilk and yeah it's just it was just really good fun and it's simple to play that one's actually out on the 1st of september so that's definitely one to look into if you like platformers Coolies. Because, like I said, it's two buttons, damn it. Next is Bomber Crew. So Bomber Crew is from a developer from down in Brighton. Uh, what's their name? What's their name? Runner Duck. And what that is, is it's kind of FTL, but it's it's almost more crew management, like Kerbal Space Program. Uh, each station has certain things they can do when you click on them. So if you click on the person who's in the bombing seat, then it'll actually bring up a viewpoint. Uh, and then you press bomb when you want them to bomb. Uh, and the navigator, if you've got someone in the navigator seat, will point out locations for you to go to, but you'll still have to look at those to interact with them to get the ship to fly there. It's set in World War II, and you're a bombing crew. If your people die, then they're dead. That's it. It's all about the personalities that they grow along the way. In that, it has a kind of very cannon fodder feel to it, because even though you will then get replacement recruits, because there's no kind of death state in the game, you've technically lost someone who's been with you for a very long time and they do level up and get a lot better at their jobs as well uh it was it was really interesting next is a hat in time uh which is one that kickstarted last year uh, you play as a little uh little girl who's got a hat i want to play that one yeah you've got multiple hats actually and they each have different abilities like a classic 3d platformer 
But what's most interesting and satisfying about the game is the humor that runs throughout it. So uh, in this, in the demo that I played, there were all of these crows aboard the Owl Express. And they were all saying like, hello, I'm an express owl. Don't pay any attention to me. But at the same time, they were all up, they were asking all of these obvious security questions, like when you try and log into websites. So they were like, say, fellow express owl, if you were to have a pet and your pet was to have a pet, what would your pet's pet be called? And then it was like, what's the name of what's the name of your uncle's sister? And then as as the level goes on, your uncle's sister or the name that you gave your uncle's sister is framed for a murder, and you have to do some platforming to find some clues to uh, to solve the murder. You don't need to find them all, uh, but yeah, no, it was a pretty good sense of humor. Felt really good. Uh, felt like golden age of of three D platformers. Uh, and it looks nice. adorable. And yeah, yeah, it looks lovely. I, I, I really can't think of much negative to say about it. Probably only that, I mean, I finished the level after finding four out of six clues because I, you know, it was pretty obvious who who was responsible for it. But it, it would have been nice to have the option to 100% it. But still, we shall see how it goes. I don't know quite what the uh, what the situation with that will be when the game launches. I think it launches in October. Uh, there's going to be five missions and there'll be another two to follow. The last game I want to mention is a game called Bad North. It was only recently named Bad North, actually, and I've been retweeting it a lot on Twitter uh, for people who have uh, been following me on that. And what that is, is it's a little strategy game being designed in Unity. It looks absolutely beautiful and it procedurally generates an island and then waves of Vikings attack and they all have they're all in units and blocks. So when they move, they flow. It, it's all being carefully programmed so that each individual unit reacts to what is going on around them. So they all go off and engage a bit like Total War, but definitely a lot more fluid than Total War. And you control kind of two or three of these squads of units that you must position around around the map to hold off against these waves. And it's it's just a visually stunning game. And each of these little little levels are only about kind of five or six minutes long so it's perfect for picking up and putting down which is great because it's also being developed for for mobile devices and i i think that that's definitely one to to watch out for i think that's everything i said i was going to talk about i probably have mentioned frostpunk as well but i haven't really got time because i've spent far too long prattling on about games that sounds like a lot of awesome games there really was and i mean yeah i mean the, the indie section was the the real kind of darling of, of that event. And I mean, what was great is that in the press area, there were, there were sections and stands that were just set up by region. So literally kind of like Canada went, right, okay, we're going to bring 20 of our developers along. And then Sweden were like, we're going to bring along 15 of our developers. And Switzerland were like, we're going to bring along X of these. And so there were a whole bunch of people who, who I, I don't think would have been able to make it otherwise, who were brought along on this on this kind of like bring the world to the to the press thing and and it was brilliant i mean i would not have seen bad north in person if it wasn't for that kind of setup being organized and and that was that was brilliant yeah that sounds that sounds incredible dan well thank you for the rundown so next up i think uh, we're going to pop over to george and uh, for his reactions on the recent shenmue 3 trailer well, not necessarily my reactions, more that I just kind of wanted to bring it up because it, it was kind of, you know, prevalent throughout the week. 
a lot of people were talking about it. I wanted to get everybody's feelings here about it. What did you guys think? Was it hideous? Did you love it? Well, uh, my my opinions on it is it it shows how far they've still got to go. Because really, the only problem with it was is that there was no facial animation. Right, yeah, the stone faces. But to me, all that says is they haven't done that yet. All the other animation looked fine. You know, they were all stony-faced mannequins, but generally the animation looked fine. It's just they haven't put the facial animation in yet. And I'm going to, you know, and that's that's all I really took from it. It's not that it looks terrible. They just haven't done that yet. There's still a way to go. It shows a game in development, so that's that's all I that's my really my whole opinion. It's it's a game that's in development. They haven't done yet that, that yet. So hopefully it gets better and doesn't have a a Mass Effect situation when it actually comes out. Uh, but I think the developer came out and said actually that was exactly how they wanted the game to be represented, which was I thought was kind of crazy because it's 2017. I mean I guess. It did look like Shenmue, that's good, but did we want something more, maybe? Something a little bit more awesome-looking? Yeah, I mean, I suppose if the developer... I, I, must, I must admit, I missed that part, and the developer said that's how he wanted it to be. I mean, in a way, yes, that is Shenmue, because Shenmue wasn't particularly great on facial animation or anything like right. that. And if you had a drinking game uh, based around the amount of times that Ryu says, I see, you'd go into some kind of alcohol-induced coma within half an hour. <laughs> I played that game. I played that game. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I suppose in, so, in some cases, sticking with the, you know, how the original game was can work, like Sonic Mania, or in a game like this, which does use 3D graphics, and obviously Shenmue was quite an early 3D game, you can update it a bit right, and still and still keep that feeling. I mean, how much money did they get? They got a quite. I'd, I'd have to look it up, but they got quite a bit of money. Yeah, it was they, it was multi millions. Yeah, they got multi millions, and then they got money from Sony, I believe. Yes, yes, they have a publisher right now, from what I understand, and they're getting more money from that. Yep, Deep Silver, I think. Either Deep Silver or yeah, it must be Deep Silver. I think they're with. Uh, yeah, I have. I I hadn't. I completely missed all of this because obviously I was away, but. Uh, but I have read up, and uh, I know that Yu Suzuki spoke to GameSpark, which I'm just reading the translation of on uh, Gama Sutra, or no, sorry, mm-hmm. Gamatsu, uh, saying that the the kind of dead-eyed models that were shown off in the trailer are just temporary and uh, were a placeholder. But so I am I to believe okay. that that there were some issues wherein people were that repulsed that they. I don't know, defenestrated themselves or or what happened? Well, I mean, if you just talk about the general aesthetics of the trailer, it does look like a Dreamcast game. I mean, what the heck's that all about? Did they just wheel out an old trailer uh, before the Dreamcast got shelved? Right. To me, it came off very weird. Um, But, I mean, mean, I'm also kind of happy for them because they did stick to their guns, and that's cool because it does honestly look like a Shenmue game, but at the same time, it does make me wonder what could have been had they you know, gone to make something more modern and more awesome looking, especially with all the money they got. I mean, where's the money going if you're just making a Dreamcast game? 
there is a big issue in the fact that at the time Shenmue was ultra realistic. When that came out, that was super realistic, unprecedented, hadn't been seen before, even completely ignoring the fact of the whole mechanic setup and how you play the game and what it is, a kind of virtual fighter game meets a free roaming, blah, blah, blah. Even ignoring all of that, the game was amazing amazing on the visuals but also wasn't it at the time it was the most expensive game ever made it was indeed yeah but uh but the but the visuals were definitely a a, you know part of the selling point for many people so so for them to say that actually those groundbreaking visuals that we definitely developed as groundbreaking visuals uh were just an art style (laughs) and we're sticking with the art style that does seem a bit odd if that's the case but again, uh, worked for Sonic. <laughs> well, I mean, if you look at games like Yakuza Zero, that game looked fantastic. What? I don't know. No, that's a completely valid point because when I was told that Shenmue had, in fact, been you know shot, thrown off a building, buried under ice, dug up again, shot, killed, and was never coming back. I did start turning to the Yakuza series for my kind of like lifestyle and beating people up games. And while it was never as epic or sweeping as the Shenmue series, you know, it did build a hole. And Yakuza games have always continued to improve on their visuals and look good. And that's kind of what I expected of Shenmue. I really kind of thought that when Shenmue came back, it would be absolutely mind-blowing visually. They'd still be going for ultra-realistic. You know, we'd be looking at the kind of big step that uh, Crisis 3 had for visuals. Yeah, but the the thing is, is that obviously Yakuza had a fairly stable release schedule. Every couple of years, a new Yakuza game came out. It's now transgressed three or four consoles, generations, and that's happened. This is riding on nostalgia all the way to the bank. And I think that's the point. Maybe. Yeah, that's a good point. And uh, maybe I'm being a worrywart, but I, I am worried because I'm looking at this and wondering, okay, where is all the money going, though? That That's what my worry is. And I'm just seeing a, um, what was that, Mighty Number no. 9 possibly forming right here. <laughs> well, I mean, you look at the trailer. Yeah, the characters were a bit janky. And obviously the voice acting is a bit janky. But again, that's kind of, that's the Shenmue thing. But you look at the backgrounds, they look pretty damn good. The environments look very, very good. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you, you can only judge the game so far, you know, it's just a trailer. Uh, but like I said, I, I'm probably just being a worry where I'm just a little teeny tiny bit worried about the game. But yeah, ultimately, the game will, uh, you know, be the final decision, you know, the final the verdict on all this. I mean, I'm slightly worried about it as well because when when this got released, uh, and I'm not I'm not ashamed to say this, but when they announced this, I cried, and it was purely because of the reason that my dad didn't really like video games, but he spent hours playing around in that in the um, the forklift truck in the first game. For some reason, that got him, and he loved just messing around in that forklift truck doing that mini game. And for that reason, and for my dad's no longer with us anymore. So when I saw it was coming back, I kind of got a bit emotional. So I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping it's going to be good. But it's almost, it's almost the same as thing as you know, if Half Life Three were ever to come out, is it going to be as any good as people want it to be? Very true. Very true. 
I do have a, a, a kind of final thing to say, which is probably that it's probably worth considering that because they've effectively got almost almost got two publishers, that's ignoring the probably thousands of technically publishers that they've got through the Kickstarter. They probably, you know, with publishers, they tend to set out milestone based layouts. And with the Kickstarter as well, that kind of happens when, when you kind of slightly promise that people are going to see things at certain times. So the team behind Shenmue 3 have, well, put simply, a trailer is long overdue. And so they probably just thought, let's just get one out there. That'll keep everyone happy for a minute and we can get on with developing this, you know. I mean, there's, there's also the point that if there's something off about it, it's going to make people talk about it a lot more. It's the whole... You know, all 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 news is no. What is it? I can't remember. All, all market. I I don't even know what I'm talking about. But you know, there's um, there's no such thing as bad press. Yeah. So true. if if something if something gets people talking about it, it's all good. The only thing worse than being talked about is not it's, being talked about. Exactly. I mean, you got us talking about it, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it worked. Well done, you. Well done. But anyway, right, let's let's move on, move on from this. So next up is actually my subject that I'm, I've brought to the table this week, oh and boy. that is uh, We Happy Few. Oh, boy. That has now gone from a fairly underwhelming uh, Kickstarter game, the indie Kickstarter game, and has now been taken under the wing of Mr. Randy Pitchford's Gearbox. Oh, boy. And has now become a AAA game. Oh it boy. has doubled in price. There is going to be a season pass. There's going to be a 150 quid special edition that doesn't include the game. <laughs> <laughs> and Does yeah, anybody it's, have anything nice to say about this? I don't think so. <laughs> but, the, but, I mean, my point is this is... Is when you when you talk about AAA games now, it does seem to be that there is this this almost template. It's like okay, you're a AAA game. Okay, you need this, 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 and this. If you don't have any of them, you might as well just be indie. Stay over there. That's not my words, by the way. I'd rather play indie games and AAA's any day of the week. But it, it it's kind of like okay, so now it now it's this. It has to be this price. It has to have a season pass. It has to have a special edition with a model and a sample of the guy's pants and everything else and you know it's 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 why oh yeah it went right through the the triple a processing yep oh pre-order exclusives as well pre-order exclusives Uh, it like hit every triple a branch down the tree (laughs) all it's missing and i'm expecting them to announce this soon is loot boxes oh dear god just no stop stop giving them ideas Actually, the gameplay does lend itself well to... Exactly, because it's a survival game. You can go, oh, get this special box. It's got some clean T-shirts in it or, you know, some drugs. And, yeah, the pre-order bonus is some kind of weird umbrella that you can hit people with. And I don't know. I've, I've literally... I mean, to be honest, when I first saw the game, you know, it was probably a couple of years ago now when they first showed it off, it looked interesting. Then they released the sort of early version for Kickstarter backers and it turned out it wasn't the game everyone one was expecting and it was just a fairly generic survival game and now it's just going to become a fairly generic expensive survival game with a load of bolted on rubbish I'll play Devil's Advocate I played the game about a year ago had a very similar experience to you I was super excited about the game it had a really awesome aesthetic it looked like a kind of like a 70s crazy version of Bioshock it had a really good 
feeling to it, and then you played the game and you were deflated because, it, yeah, it is just another survival game. God knows we have a lot of those. But here's the here's the only reason I think that they are trying to do this is maybe they are trying to rescue the game. Maybe they're trying to save what they've made because they know that they possibly made something that is kind of generic and maybe they needed more money. Maybe they wanted to infuse it with more, you know, get that big publisher. So that way they maybe could, I don't know, maybe make the game a little bit more than we hoped it would be or make it more better. I don't know. Yeah, but we're talking about Randy Pitchford and Gearbox. Yes, but (laughs) I'm, I'm not allowed to talk about him. Because uh, I get myself in trouble when I do that, so I'm not going to talk about him. Yes, we don't want any controversy, do we? Exactly. So, but uh, no, I'm I I kind of see exactly where you're coming from uh, on the argument about trimmings and AAA stuff. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I think this is a, a an odd and a strange move that might actually be gambling on the impressions that were made when the game was shown off at E3. Yeah, I mean uh, that's that's what I mean. It's you know it's already it's already kind of almost had a not a, a beta release kind of. Yeah, it's and, on, and, uh, and and the reception was a bit lukewarm. So why now on that has a company decided to swoop in and pick it up? Unless like what George is saying, they're coming to rescue it, make it better. I mean, I played the game when it first on the PC became available, and I played it, and yeah, I was equally taken aback. I was like, this is a survival game. You know what? That's absolutely fine. And I kept knuckling forward, and I got to Hamlin, I think the first little town is, that was in that early build. Yeah. It actually got really interesting when I got to Hamlin, and I liked the uh, I liked the social aspect, uh, or sorry, the the fact that the social social aspect also became a survival mechanic. And I thought that that was really interesting. Now, since then, they've added in new difficulty modes. They're going to add in new playable characters. There's no reason why they couldn't make a character or they couldn't make something that does play slightly more similar to what people were expecting. They have built a really interesting setting and a really interesting skill set and an in- interesting play set essentially and i what with how much they've changed the game since it was first since it first kind of became slightly playable i i do think that there could be something there that could be pitched as you know suitable for all of this stuff i don't know i have lost track of the game admittedly right but to bring it back to what terry was saying there's really no it it literally got pushed through like a mold like play-doh like this is what AAA is. This is what it, it should be always. Season passes and other bullshit that you don't really want or need. Yeah. It really got just pushed through this extruder. And it's just, it's it's a really good insight as to what AAA companies right now think what AAA should be, which is horribly disgusting, in my opinion. Yeah. And I, I have nothing nice to say about it. And in, in, I mean, the, the thing that, I mean... In a way, I can. In this situation, I can almost understand the collector's edition with no game in it, only for the fact that it was you a kickstarted. Yeah, but right. So, only for the fact that this was a kickstarted game. So the people that have already paid for this game are already going to have the game, and if they are a massive fan and want all that gumph, they can buy it without having a second copy of the game. That I can understand. But, uh, but 
don't forget that there are companies out there that do that now. There are companies like yeah. Special Edition and other companies that do that, that are essentially service companies for developers now. What Gearbox are doing is they are taking, I suppose, big indie or successful indie or big double A, if we even still say that, or A games and trying to give them a new lease of life through the early 2000s AAA process. And so things like People Can Fly's Bulletstorm getting completely remastered and getting all of this stuff happening probably made a lot of sense to the marketing team and the people in charge at People Can Fly, but it didn't really in the modern consumer environment unless Gearbox have also got an online distribution set up. Uh, I don't even know how how it hit retail actually as a matter of fact but i can't imagine it, it was particularly a particularly large effort i don't i doubt that they got the same kind of run up and hype build up to the triple a games that they're trying to imitate well my my final statement is this and it was, it was an article i read it, was, it wasn't necessarily related to this but i honestly think that the the titles the the uh the, the, the genres that we call these things triple a Double A, which I think is a disgusting thing. Indy, I think these titles need to die. I really do think they need to die. Agreed. I, they need to go away because they're now conforming things in a way that are not helpful or beneficial to consumers, to gamers. I think they need to go away. And yeah, I just... <laughs> no, I, I agree. So yeah, AAA India. Because I mean, there's it's getting to the point now where indie games are coming out that are are better and more polished than AAA games in a lot in in a lot of circumstances. Absolutely, look at Hellblade. Uh, yeah, exactly. Seven. Hellblade is a AAA game. Just it was made by an independent developer. Well, I mean, bear in mind. I think we have kind of touched on this. I think we've touched on this every week, really. But bear in mind that indie, you know, used to a few years ago mean the bedroom or the basement coder, whereas now we've got ex developers who have kind of all flooded out of irrational games. Uh, look at the Banner Saga, for instance, you know, or I was talking to a team at Gamescom who were a team of like 25 people who haven't made a game before. So by all intents and purposes, they're indie. And even if they launch that game, as a matter of fact, they're indie. And even if that game outsells Call of Duty, they're indie, you know, because there is there is no other move. There is no other place for them to go. So, yes, agreed. We We almost need to go to talking about, you know, developer, publisher, small team, big team, medium team, veteran team. You know, we almost need to go to, to that formatting now for, yeah, for, for, yeah when totally. talking about games. Yeah. Totally. Right. So next up on the agenda is you, Mr. Dan, with your opinions on there possibly being a new crash on the horizon. Not that there was one in the first place. Don't you even start on that. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Obviously, this is a really interesting topic and one that everyone's been talking about for six, seven years. I don't think that there's a crash on on the horizon because I don't think there can be a crash what with the internet. But I do think that because of the way that distribution is changing uh, and because of Valve opening the floodgates and I say the floodgates, that makes it sound horrible, doesn't it? But there has certainly been a deluge of games since they did that. And obviously places like itch.io and game jolt and other other sites having no no kind of gating on what games come through we now have an excess of games that are launching every week 
to the general public. I mean, with with the amount of games that were launching anyway, just on direct download or on itch or anywhere were being finished, there were loads. But at least with Steam, it was controlled. Well, whereas now controlled really. <laughs> yeah, but you know what I mean. It was more controlled. Even yeah. when they were running Greenlight, you didn't have what Steam now has on it. An old member of the site was playing a game recently, and I noticed that they had earned a thousand achievements from it. So I clicked on the game, and it took me to a Steam page, and the game itself was on sale for like fifty p. Or you could buy a bundle of twenty five of these achievement games for about £7. And literally these games exist, so you turn them on, go out, make a cup of soup or whatever, come back, you've earned a 1,000 achievements. you know, And that's what they exist for. you know. And so that kind of stuff now is on the Steam store, is in that Steam system, and curation is not, curation is not properly in place on Itch.io, on Steam, on any of these marketplaces. Well, I mean, things like Itch.io, there's nothing at all, is there? You pretty much can upload a game and it goes live within minutes. Yeah, but there's no there's no kind of like, or they do have their front page, which says we recommend this, we recommend this, we recommend this. And Steam very much has that as well. And Steam is trying to recommend you games based on what you've played. But if a new game comes out from a new developer, it could be absolutely mind-blowing. But if they have no idea about how to do marketing, then that will just completely sell nothing, you know, and you'll get two or three people possibly buy it and go, this is amazing, this is amazing, and they'll tell their mates and it will sell on word of mouth. And all of a sudden, we're back to the early DOS days where people are going to have to start doing stuff like shareware, but, I don't know, still have to do some sort of marketing in order to get stuff out there. It, it the, the market has so rapidly changed because that distribution moved forwards that that we've definitely not got a crash coming but we have got a point where if we're not careful, the medium-sized developer will disappear again because of the issues of marketing or the lack of marketing and PR that, that will be made by a, a big flood of games. If, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, I can, I can, yeah, it does make sense. I mean, I can see there, there, there will be a crash, but it won't be a, a general game crash. There will yeah, be a there will be a retail crash. Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be a demand for for games. That's you know, ever since video games were born, people have been clamoring for it. The next big thing, the, the newest things. So I don't, I don't really understand what you mean by crash, other than a bunch of companies possibly going bankrupt. Uh, what I mean, well, I mean, the crash is is a term normally used to refer to something that happened in America, wherein Atari and a couple of other companies basically just. Uh, well, very much disappeared because right. of oversaturation. We didn't really have it over here, to be honest with you. But I, I don't uh, think that's possible these days because of the internet. I don't, yeah. I don't think that could happen anymore. But then what I'm talking about is the new, the new crash, what may be known as a crash in 10 years' time, may in fact be that medium-sized developer teams start disappearing because when they hit these storefronts, they can't get enough impact, you know, they 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 don't have the marketing or they don't have the pr and they don't they don't appear on these curated lists and they don't appear to the right people and so they sell so few copies they can't support themselves well, and so the almost a new wave of indie wherein all of these mid-tier developers have to fragment again 
but I mean, if if you want, if we're looking at that, then we could we could kind of say that we're already in the middle of that crash because that is the situation. Developers who you can make the greatest game in the world, but if you don't know how to market, you're screwed. That that's right now. That's happening today. Uh, you know, how many games come out on Steam every month? It's like a thousand now. It's ridiculous how many games come out. Uh, I think that that's the current situation right now, and it's really unfortunate. But yeah, I think that is it's a reality of. You need to not only make a great game anymore. That's just that's only thirty percent of it. But you need to market it now. You need to do the social media. It's 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 no longer, sadly, that you can have success based off the merits of what you made anymore. Now it's who you know. How did you get it out there? Who did you tell? So you're saying it's like art then? Yeah, I mean to a certain extent, yeah. Art and art and books and and film very much. You can make you can write an amazing book, but if you don't get picked up or found, exactly. And I think, yeah, I honestly think that's a you know that's a lot of it has to do with Val's fault. That has to do with well, not necessarily maybe probably Val's fault, but I do think there's a lot of people who've gotten access to making games now. There's a lot of which is great. You know, there's a lot of tools out there for people to pick up and use, and they can make their own games and they have their own dreams. But the problem is now that it's so widespread that everybody's making a game now, <laughs> which I know is a weird issue, but I, I think it's it's a combination of things. I think it has something to do with the publishers, the distributors, and the fact that just everybody now has access to these tools. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but as far as a crash goes, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Because I, I do agree with you, Dan, that something something does need to happen. Uh, or something is going to happen, I should say. I just, I don't know what. And it should be, it's either going to be terrible, it's probably going to be terrible, whatever it's going to be. It's going to be awful. I, yeah, I mean, that's that's really it. I mean, it's 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 becoming oversaturated. I, I, I just hate missing a good game. I know that's quite selfish. But I, I, and I think it sucks if, if people are pouring time in and making a game that applies, or sorry, appeals to me, a game that would be perfect for me, that I'd love, and then that I miss it, that I, I find this game in five or six years' time when it's on some list of top 10 games that are like this that I accidentally clicked on while I was trying to wave off an advert, you know, and, 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 I, and I miss it, you know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I can completely relate to that. But that's why we have such amazing websites like Big Boss Battle that finds those games <laughs> and hopefully gets them a little bit more exposure, huh? Promote that man. <laughs> Excellent. Right, let's move on. Let's let's go back to you, George. You know, with a few words on uh, Biomutant. I think, I, I'm pretty sure that came out of GamesCon and it was something that looked very exciting to me. I watched the trailer. I was immediately captured by this game. Um, it, I mean, other than I could say that it looks like Rocket Raccoon had a, like a samurai sword. The game looks really cool. I don't know if you guys have seen the trailer. Uh, a lot of the features sound neat. I could read some of them off, basically. Uh, there's one where you can find things around the world that kind of evolve your main character. You're literally kind of altering the genetics of your creature, hence the bio-mutant part of it. And you can gain like a spiky tail or claws or wings. I don't know exactly what yet. Obviously, the game's still in development. But it, also the combat, if you watch some of the gameplay, it reminded me a lot of kind of like a Fable 2, where you're switching between your sword and your gun. You're, you know, you're flipping around. You're having really awesome combat. And apparently there's also going to be powers like telekinesis and all sorts of crazy stuff. 
And I just want to say it now, uh, I think that's going to be an amazing game of 2018. I think it's going to blow – it just looks really cool. I think it's going to blow some people's minds. I saw some gameplay of it running while I was at Gamescom, and yeah, I think it was announced like the day before. I caught the trailer a couple of days in because completely out of the loop while I was there. But uh, but yeah, I, I also completely agree. It looks absolutely mind-blowing. Uh, I saw a poster shared, and it had the, you know, the game had the most ridiculous description. It was like post-apocalyptic animal fighting, technological ninja samurai. Back <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. And I was like, okay, that seems pretty ridiculous, but I can deal with that. And Biomutants, a completely nuts name. It's like, that's like, I can't believe somebody didn't use that name in the 90s. And, and then, yeah, it, it just looks really good. I mean, the combat looks really fluid. It's very much an action RPG, albeit with abilities, and and that's something that THQ Nordic have managed managed to start nailing down because uh, there aren't many games doing that particularly well. But obviously now that they've got the Darksiders team working with them again, uh, I know this is a completely different team, but it, it it means that the publisher is obviously going to be more open to 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 uh, publish stuff that's in that area i don't know where this game came from it just appeared all of a sudden right yeah that's crazy it and, really just came out of nowhere and yeah it just re- looks really good and interesting it's got this kind of you know the the main character's got that little robotic grasshopper on on their shoulder and yeah it, and yeah it just looks really cool there was this one moment in the trailer that completely sold me on the game where uh, the person, the, the little monster takes a sword and it slashes, slash, slash, slashes, and then it launches at the enemy up into the sky, and then he just pulls out his guns and just unloads into it, and it reminded me of Devil May Cry because it just looked so awesome, and it got me really super excited for this game. I think it's going to be so awesome. Yeah. Did you see the trailer, Terry? <laughs> I haven't. I'm actually looking at it now. I'm looking at a robotic cricket at the moment. So, But... Um... Yeah, so I'll, I'll I'll come back in a moment with my with my first impressions because I'm just having a look now. <laughs> All right. Well, if anything, if this segment has any point, I think they should just spread some awareness. This game looks incredible. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. I think uh, it also has a crafting system to it too, as well. From what I understand, you can create your own swords, your own guns, your own shotguns, your own dual pistols, and things like that. It just has a lot of things that seemingly are you know they're kind of mixing a lot of things in a very good fashion. It doesn't look like it's overdone. It looks like it's it's really being handled very well. Yeah, it yeah, certainly I looks agree. interesting. For some reason, the character reminds me of um, the, the bizarre. Uh, did anyone ever play Blinks the Cat on the original Xbox? Yeah, yeah. For some reason, the character reminds me of Blinks. I think he's just his ears and the way he moves. I can see yeah. that. Yeah, but yeah, it, it does it. it does look very interesting. Yeah, there was this one like uh, gameplay footage I saw where his fur was like purple and or it was like pink and green because of some mutation he took on himself. It completely just changed the dynamic of how the character looked. And from what I understand, that will also apply to gameplay. How it'll completely change on how you approach situations. Like you can get telekinesis, and suddenly you might not need to fight with your sword anymore. You can just throw enemies around. It just sounds really. I hope that it delivers on that concept because it just sounds. Like an infinite, replayable, awesome action game. Agreed. Yeah, uh, definitely one to yeah. keep an eye on as it as it gets closer to release. Certainly. I mean, action action RPGs have, you know, they were they were so massive uh, during the kind of PS2 era, and then they started dying off around PS3. 
uh, and Xbox 360. Obviously, you mentioned Fable. Fable was very much one of the, it always felt like it was like the dying breath of the ARPG games. Uh, oh, no, I just did that. Oh, no. Oh, I just, said, I just said ARPG games. That's terrible. That's like saying ATM machine <laughs> or pin number or PCB board. Oh. But yeah, so the, the ARPG really felt like it was disappearing. Uh, so it's good that it's kind of coming back and, and this has got that many features innovated into it. Uh, and if they, if they are built well and they are that close to the core of the gameplay, then it could make for some massive variety uh, when people play it. And that's good because the danger of action RPGs is that they become grind fests about finding a bigger sword to kill bigger enemies, to find a bigger sword to kill bigger enemies. And this really looks like it might, you know, nip that in the bud. Possibly. Yeah. Okay, cool. Right, so the next one up is one that I found out about earlier on today. Uh, and this is very, very interesting to me. And I could probably bang on about this for hours. So please stop me if I do. Um, so uh, a company called the Acid Wizards have got a new game called Darkwood. And it's a, it's a sort of a horror survival uh, title. I don't actually know that much about the game, but I, I will know more about the game because I, I will probably be playing it very shortly because I've, I've now got the game for this particular reason. So, the dev put the game up, DRM-free, with no crack. doesn't even need to be installed. You can just download it and run it onto Pirate Bay with no catches whatsoever. And what I I'm going to about this. What I'm going to do now, because I've actually downloaded it already, because <laughs> I'm, I'm that kind of person. But I'm going to I'm going to read you the description from their from their Pirate Bay uh, upload here. So it says, "Hi, this torrent was brought to you by the developers of Darkwood Acid Wizard Studio. This is the latest version of Darkwood at the time of writing this 1.0 Hotfix 3, completely DRM free. There is no catch, no added pirate hats for characters or anything like that." We have just one request. If you like Darkwood and want us to continue to making games, consider buying it in the future, maybe on a sale through Steam, GOG or Humble Store. But please, please don't buy it through any key reselling site. By doing that, you're just feeding the cancer that is leeching off this industry. This torrent comes with no installer, so you can just run it from the mounted image. But we recommend copying the contents to your disk and running it from there. For more information on our story and why we decided to share this with you, check out and there's a link. Have fun, the Acid Wizards. And I think this is a damn good move. This is an honest move by an honest developer that just wants to get their game out there. Absolutely. And I, I think <clears throat> what the important part is about this is it draws attention to a situation that has long been forming, that has long been there, and it's talking about these key reseller websites that are just, just horrible or horrible. Yep. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, especially over the last year, you've had you know numerous reports of key resellers that have been obtaining keys with stolen credit cards and, or just buying them off other people that have stolen them and things like that. And and uh, obviously some have already had their or, or got their comeuppance. Um, right. Yeah, and I mean, it ties back to what Dan was talking about earlier, you know, with the crash and all that, is how do you get attention on your game? You know, how do you get attention on your game 
and make sure that you can actually feed your family at the end of the day. And this developer said, you know what, screw it, we're just going to completely go against the grain and we're going to put our game up on Pirate Bay, which is the ballsiest thing I've ever seen a developer do. Um, and yeah, I mean, kudos to them for that. No, I think, and the thing is, I've, I mean, this isn't the first time this has happened. I mean, this is the first one I think I've read about in mainstream uh, media about it happening. But because I, let's say I, I, I walk in these circles of the internet, it isn't the first time it's happened. And what you will find is, you know, you, you, you know, someone will put their game up for free, and you, you look in the comments, and all the comments are positive, and people are saying, you know, I can't afford this right now, but when I can, I'm going to buy this game. And this is, you know, users of Pirate Bay or Torrent sites, they normally wouldn't do this. You know, people like that do respond to honesty and moves like this. They will say, you know what, you're doing this, this is ballsy, I like you, I'm going to support you. And that's that. That's what this is all about. It's this. I think this developer is going to do well just for this move. They 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 will get sales from this. I mean, yes, they they are going to lose sales from it as well. But they're they're taking that gamble. And it's a ballsy move and it's a gutsy move. And I like the developer for it. Well, like we said before, no press. You know, no kind of press is bad press. Yep, indeed. Um, I I I don't really know because, I, I mean, I'm not saying there isn't you know noble, um, I'll use the word, I don't want to use the word pirates, but noble people out there who use torrents. Um, but it just, it's a very, it's a, it's a very gamble. It's a big gamble. Yeah. Watch what you say, George. You might offend someone talking. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But you know, it's a big gamble. It's a huge gamble. Let's be honest here because you are putting essentially a product out there for free and, and hoping on that good faith that they do, in turn go you know thank you for doing this and i am going to pay you in return it's a big gamble it's it it also runs into a into a point that i've been making for for a long time is that the fact that the the game demo has disappeared back in the you know the the late you know even for you know from the from the night from the 80s to the sort of early 2000s you would get demos of games you could play a game, maybe the, the first level or the first half an hour of a game, and you could try it and you could go, okay, I don't like it, I'm not going to buy it, or I do like it, I am going to buy it. You can't do that anymore. It's very rarely that there's demos. The only demos that I've seen recently have been on the Switch. There's been a, you know, there, there was a, the Pio Pio Tetris had a demo. And um, I can't even remember the names of the other one, but there's another couple of games recently. I think Arms had a demo. And uh, other stuff like that. Demos are a good thing. This, I mean, obviously, I'm I'm going to guess the reason you can't get demos now is that it's probably a lot harder these days to chop a game down to a specific section or a specific amount of time. That's why I would imagine there's not demos. Why there's not demos of indie games? That should be that should be a you know easy to do. But, I mean, that's the reason I think that, that you can't have demos because even the core of the game is going to be, you know, multiple, you know, tens of gigs potentially. So just trying to piece off a little bit of the game isn't going to work. So I can kind of understand why there isn't demos, but this is a kind of way around that. The, 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 this company is giving someone a way to play the game, try it out without paying a penny, and then they can make that choice. Okay, I don't like it. And the thing is, if they download this game and don't like it, they're not going to play it. So they're not losing money because they wouldn't have bought it in the first place. The, the, only, the only developers that lose out 
from situations like this are developers that put out buggy, unfinished games. Well, demos are available. They've just changed how and where they appear. So, but they're nowhere near as prevalent. You've got to admit that. You can't. You don't get demo discs anymore. We had no. like seven or eight games a month at least on a demo disc. Yeah, but the problem the problem was obviously that demo discs. I'm talking PC here, but but demo discs uh, on the continent actually uh, they still do demo discs. I don't have a D, I don't have a CD player on my PC, so I mean that's the main reason that it wouldn't benefit me. But you can find demos for a lot of indie games on the likes of Game Jolt. Uh, demos are regularly issued uh, for Kickstarters, and if you go on Steam, there are actually hundreds and hundreds of demos. Uh, on there probably thousands of thousands of demos actually but but they're awkward to find because you have to go onto the store page and there are a little button about three quarters of the way down the store page on the right hand side uh on the store page of the game that is okay so you, you go over so there are some on there uh, i know the surge recently got one as well which is a large scale game but a lot of indie games have got them too but they are harder to find i do miss demo discs and i wish that there was a magazine that had a usb pen drive with it that had drm free demos on it or whatever uh, agreed with developers you know that'd be pretty cool uh, yeah. especially if the usb pen drives were themed or something sweet like that but but yeah uh yeah regarding what you said uh downloading a game in its entirety paying for it if you like it you know pretty cool way to go about things ultimately if I buy a game on Steam, I don't refund, but there are people out there who would pay 40 quid for the game, play it for an hour and go, oh, I hate this, and get a refund, in which case they've essentially got a demo. Yeah, I mean, I suppose I, I do agree with that. You know, but, the, the Steam refund thing has helped. But, but that is an awkward way of doing it. You know, it Steam Valve could just stream two hours of a game to you and then, you know, say, oh, if you want to buy it, then you'll have to pay now. They could, they, you know, you they could just do that system. They could gate it. Or, I mean, a few years ago, EA painted the, uh, what was it called? The degrading demo, it was called, wherein you downloaded the entire game, and the longer you played, the more features fell off. So, for instance, if you played it for an hour, it went, okay, you've played this demo for an hour now, so we're going to, you know, we're going to weaken the, the visuals. And then if you played for another hour, they went, okay, you've played for two hours now, so we're going to, uh, you know, the audio's going now. You know, and they kept stripping features as you got further into the game, so that if you paid it, all of those features came back. Uh, obviously, that didn't stick, because with longer games that have saves on it, you actually miss things by missing those visuals and that audio. So it's a bad idea. But at the same time, if it was an arcade game, as in an arcade genre game or a racing game or something like that that would actually kind of work that's another way of going about it but i like what these guys have done yeah it's definitely good i mean it, it, it kind of harkens back the um how many of you bought the physical copy of witcher 3 not me not me I bought right so i so i bought it on ps4 because at the time my my pc was not a, a games playing rig as it is now it was just a quite a rubbish machine but in the box of that game there was a letter and that letter it was just basically a direct letter from the developers basically giving you giving the player thanks thank you for buying our game supporting the game blah 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 and i thought that was a good thing as well you know developers actually being thankful for you buying their games not that 
because the, the thing that annoys me or has annoyed me over the last few years is is those developers that go right we've made this massive triple a game everyone's excited about it we know it's potentially a bit janky so we're not going to send out review copies or we're going to pay people off to give us good reviews and then the the early adopters the big you know raving fans of the game buy it and get disappointed doing something like this so people can actually play the game first is even though they're putting it up in a in a completely dodgy way you know it's going up on a a widely known pirate website it's in the name of the site it's probably the most honest move a developer could do they're saying we want you to play our game we don't care how we want you to play it and you you can't you, you know you can't say anything bad about that it's a developer trusting in its product one thing i wanted to mention that i think um <clears throat> that we kind of missed on the on the talking about demos and why you know why maybe they're not as prevalent as they used to be is that you also have youtube essentially and a lot of people now just kind of are, I don't want to say they're lazy, but they do find an easier route just to go watch a video of a game. And they say, well, oh, if I like the video, if I like what I see, then I'll buy it. I think that's kind of another thing that's kind of put a, a dent in the entire demo thing. Yeah. I mean, that can, that can work against games, though, in a lot of ways. Because there's, there's been massive games that, you know, have looked for to me have looked interesting, and they, you know, they're quite heavy story-based games. And I thought, you know what, I'm not going to buy it. I'm just going to watch someone play it on YouTube, get all the story, get all the content, basically for free, and then I don't have to play it because a lot of the, a lot of Resident Evil Seven, it's a, it, it looks good, it looks awesome, but I've never really been a great fan of it, and I'm not a big fan of horror games anyway. But it looked interesting. But to me, Absolutely. watching it on YouTube is is good enough for me. Yeah, it's definitely a double-edged sword. I mean, look at what happened to Mass Effect Andromeda <laughs> with all yeah. the weird facial and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, they started trying to take videos down and everything, didn't they? <laughs> and I think some of the... There was another game, one of the shooters, Battlefield, possibly, where they were, they were taking down glitch videos and and all kind of stuff. It's I, I wouldn't I wouldn't doubt it. it it's ridiculous. Anyway. I mean, story-driven story games like the Telltale games, for instance, especially when they only have two choices at certain points in time, you know, there were reportedly, I'm, I'm sure I read something by Ron Gilbert, I think, uh, who obviously recently did Fimbleweed Park, uh, about how story-driven games and YouTube are a bad combination because people feel like they don't have to play your game if the game is linear. So Yeah, if it's linear, but obviously what you've done there is you've brought up the Telltale games and things yeah. like that, which are definitely not linear. But they do come to the same conclusion. Each episode ends at the, ends the same way, even if some oh. pawns aren't in the same place. I don't. Dis I agree. I disagree with that. I think if if you play a Telltale game, you know that there's a lot of intricacies in the things that happen in the game that kind of make it tailored to your experience and decisions that you made. I mean, yes, it is you're going from A to B eventually, but I think there's a lot of things in between that make it a very unique experience. Also, funny that you bring up Telltale because. I think they have a really good company that does every time you see them bring out a new series, they always offer that first episode up for free for you just to try, see if you like the story, see if you like what yeah. you know, they're doing this one and give it to you. Yeah. See, that's a good thing about their episodic design. You can, you can whet the player's appetite and then get the money later. And that, yeah, that's, that's a definitely a, a good business model. Very much. That is very similar to, to loop back far too far to the shareware, uh, model that we were talking about earlier on in passing on a different subject 
as well, uh, wherein you play through the first level of Doom, or you play through the first 10 levels of Commander Keen, or you play through the first zone of Jill of the Jungle, and then you can uh, you can buy the rest of the game. Yeah, but it also ties in with what with what I was saying, is that I don't think it's that easy to chop a game up anymore. The Telltale games are already chopped up by their very design, so it's very easy for them to do it. I just don't think you could do a game like The Witcher 3 as a demo. Touché. Uh, well, just my final uh, thing on this is that I kind of want to bring it back to the, the source of what's going on here. Yep. And I think what the developer was trying to bring attention to is that these key websites need to go away. Yep, definitely. And my, my final thing on it is that I remember playing demos for games that had content in them that weren't actually in the full release. Yeah, and I, I always consider that a bit of a bonus. You almost uh, were playing a beta. That's it. Fall, Fallout Tactics. Uh, there was a demo level that was not in the full game. And what they did is they built a level as a demo using all of the game mechanics. Although uh, customers, uh, companies have done that recently. Who did it? Stanley Parable. Yes, yeah. Stanley so Parable, there we are. Yeah, did the same thing. They, they Dem- built a demo specifically. So demos, demos can exist again. But the developers have to create a small tailor-made section, which is more work. But then it is essentially a almost a pitch to the customer as opposed yeah. to the first X of the game. So they could have done something with The Witcher. They could have made a small, you are, you know, XDXDX and you are standing at the mouth of XDXDX and must... Yeah defeat the XDXDX or work your way out of the situation. But, but also, I mean, again, we'll relate it to The Witcher. So a lot of games these days have so many different mechanics in them that the tutorial is alone can be three or four hours long. And trying to cram all that into a demo isn't going to work. Telltale. <laughs> Telltale. <laughs> Yeah, anyway, I think that's a good a good place to, to come off on that. So, Mr. Dan, you've been wanting to talk about this for weeks and we've never had enough time for it. But now is the time for you to shine and hopefully for Toby to wake up and say something. Power Stone. Oh, I thought this was going to be about mallards and ducks because that's been on there for a while. That is. But, uh, but, 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 we'll just get that over with now. It's ducks. Mallards are the rapists of the, the water-based uh, bird. So really? We'll, so we'll just go for ducks. I didn't know yeah. that. I, I always assumed that mallards were the... Uh... They have bizarre shooting out corkscrew penises. It's really bizarre. <laughs> no, no, seriously. I, I don't know why. It came up before I even this thing was on the thing. We'll just go through this very quickly. Before this, I ever saw this, it was, it was months ago. I, I, one of them weird things where you just you end up on the dark side of YouTube. And uh, yeah, apparently, apparently, you know, it, it, it literally shoots out and it's like a corkscrew. What were you Googling? Then? I can't even I wasn't good. I was on YouTube. You know where you go, oh, related videos, related videos. I, I was watching like, you know, educational stuff. So, you know, Today I Found Out is a channel that I like watching. And uh, yeah, yeah, so they, 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 it shoots out. It's like a corkscrew. But it, it turned out in one particular breed, the females actually developed genitals that actually go the other way. So it no longer works anymore. <laughs> and it was it was just really bizarre. So it means that, the you know, they've evolved to a point where they're no longer going to be able to procreate, so they're going to go ex- extinct. But yeah, mallards are basically rapists. Okay, so well, we'll just I'll, end that there. 
Okay. I've uh, learned something today that I didn't want to. Yeah. <laughs> well, then next time we're going to have to talk about which duck is best, and I just want to put forward that the Ida duck is the best duck. So well, clearly it's Donald. I don't think that counts because I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry to let you, sorry to break this to you, but he's fictitious. That that wasn't in the question. That you didn't specify that it had to be a, a real duck. Does you have to frame Donald your questions correctly. It's never been shown, but I don't think that's in sort of in Disney's remit, to be honest, to show duck penises on in a cartoon. That is one strange penis. He's just I think it's funny that Toby's first thing that he says in this podcast is talking about penis. <laughs> what can I say? What can I say? Well, anyway, before duck penises take over too much, Power Stone, Dan, go on. Okay, so Power Stone 2 uh, is something that we have kind of mentioned ever so slightly in passing the last couple of weeks. And so I just want to spend some time talking about it and kind of get some input from you lot. So obviously we've talked about uh, the Dreamcast previously, which is why it came up. We talked a little bit about Marvel vs. Capcom 2, which was easily one of the strongest side-on fighting games that I've played. The but theme song for that game was the was one of the best theme songs ever. Yeah, no, I'm going to take you for a ride. <laughs> yeah, that sounds yeah. bad. Uh, and Power Stone 2, however, was something really special to me. The first one was brilliant. I mean, the, what they are, for anyone who's not aware, is they're kind of a diagonal looking down at a uh, at a room in the first one uh, with various objects in it, like crates and benches and vending machines and all sorts. And then you've got up to four players in the room, run around this room, can pick up these items, can throw them at each other and can beat each other up. But these gems also appear, which are the power stones, which once you get a bunch of them, you turn into an alternative version of yourself and you can deck enemies even more. I mean, the, the power stones were obviously, they, they gave the game its name, but but it wasn't that that makes Power Stone 2 super memorable for me. So in Power Stone 2, uh, you're fighting in these arenas and the maps sometimes change. So sometimes you'll have to rush to get on an elevator and it takes you to another floor or sometimes a lump of the map just disappears. But it's the items in Power Stone 2 that make it super memorable for me because you start and there's probably about 20 or 30 items between all of the game's levels. But you can then, once you've used them in a match and once you've found certain other items, you can go to a place in the options menu and kind of spend some of the currency you've earned for playing the game to combine these items. So you might combine the extending stick, uh, which is similar to the mythological monkey stick, uh, with an umbrella. And so in which case you'd get a extending umbrella that can then obviously push people from greater distances. And they had literally hundreds and hundreds of these items that you unlocked and then they started appearing in the game. So you could uh, you could attach a sword to a broom and you could attach a this to a that. And all of a sudden, the more you played this game, the more wild and wacky combinations you could find and add to it. And that's and while Super Smash Brothers, which obviously 2D side on as opposed to that angle, while Super Smash Brothers has got an absolute mass of items that you can have dropped in you never really unlocked them per se and so it, it gave an extra sense of ownership to the game and that's that's you know that's before we even get on to any of the other bits in the game like the little uh virtual mini games that you could do on the little carry around thing but but yeah i think 
fighting games where you unlock stuff and get to retain it, which ties back into what I always say about Marvel vs. Capcom 2's excellent character unlocking system. Really need to make a return. And I do think that Power Stone 2, or, or maybe one day, Power Stone 3, could really work well on the competitive gaming circuit as well. Well, I can I can certainly see it making a, an appearance because Sega have already said that Dreamcast games are going to make their way to their what's that service they've just started out. For, Which service is that? They're they're, they're bringing out a load of old games on Android and iOS. So they oh, started yes, out with yes. Sonic and there's uh, I can't remember Golden Axe I think and Strider perhaps. But they've but I think they're they I, mean, I think Sonic Adventure and Crazy Taxi are already available on Android and iOS. But they're yes. gonna they're gonna re-release them. And um, yeah, so basically, I, I can't remember what the name of it is, but Sega are basically starting up a, almost like a, they, they think hopefully they're going to try and make it into almost like a Netflix of games uh, on mobile devices. So you can either pay, uh, I think you can download the games for free and they've got ads in them, or you can pay, I think it's about one ninety nine for the Mega Drive games and get rid of the ads. And they, uh, the 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 plan is is to release tons and tons and tons of them and go back through their entire library. Oh, this is this is Sega Forever. Yeah, it? Sega Forever. That's the one. That's the one. Well done, Dan. But yeah, they've yeah. already said Dreamcast games are coming, so I can see Power Stone making its or Power Stone or Power Stone Two making its way to Android at least. I think Forever is going to make its way to PC as well at some point. Yeah, I mean uh, they have redone the uh mega drive system haven't they uh because they had the sega sega classics on steam yeah. which was the mega drive or master system games wasn't it and they they changed the interface so that you're in a room where you were putting bits and bobs in it would be nice if forever made it over and it would be great if power stone 2 made it onto that and hopefully that would trigger a resurgence because i mean capcom always feel like they're they're stumbling around failing to figure out something new to make i mean a lot of their games are getting very you know they 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 they, they keep making resident evils because it earned them some money once and <laughs> they've just released street fighter 2 for the 174th time on the switch uh, it, exactly <laughs> that that's the other thing they keep releasing street fighters because that made them some money once and it's obviously got a good scene and then they you know the guy who was one of the guys who was working on monster hunter was like i've got a new idea for a project and it was Dragon's Dogma, which was absolutely mind-blowing. And then they've started turning Monster Hunter into Dragon's Dogma now. So, like, Capcom always feel like they're just waiting for a break. And I honestly think that getting back to Power Stone could do them really well. Did anyone else here play Power Stone 2? Yeah, I've, I actually just looked through my, my folder of games and found that I've got... Hang on, actually, I didn't check whether it was one or two. But I've got, I've got one of them in my folder. I think it's number one. Yeah, I bought a Dreamcast specifically because of Power Stone. Oh, yeah, I've got the uh, first one. I'm looking at it here. I never played Power Stone 2 because uh, I was broke at the time. But, yeah, I mean, Power Stone was a great game. I'm not really sure how much of a demand for it there would be right now. I do think it's definitely a game that time forgot. <laughs> um so, yeah, I mean, hey, it would be cool if it came back. I just, I don't know if it's going to happen, though. I can kind of see uh, games, you know, games coming back from the past. Because, I mean, we've obviously seen the Mega Man Legacy collections that have been coming out recently. And obviously with, right. with Sonic Mania doing massive amounts of sales, I, I, can, I can see companies going, well, 
of maybe there is a market for our stuff now. We can we can bring them back. I mean, I'd love to see a new Ghouls and Ghosts. That'd be the greatest thing ever. I mean, I know there was what was it Maximo on PlayStation, but yep. But, and don't don't forget also you had uh, Castilia Mal- Maldita, and there's Battle Princess Madeline as well. Yes, I couldn't mention that. Battle yeah, Princess but Madeline. yeah, well that that is a that's a spiritual sequel, isn't it? Basically, so the, the both of them, the both of those are really really cool looking. I mean, George actually played Battle. Yep. Was, yeah, yeah, you played it and enjoyed it, and Castilia Maldita. Oh, I'm probably saying that completely wrong. Uh, which came out before and has slowly bled round to pretty much every console under the sun now. Uh, that was absolutely fantastic as well. Yeah. I mean, I can I can kind of see this like this Sega Forever thing almost being a kind of test bed. They can go, oh, hang on, we've just released Echo again, and that sold a crap ton of money. And also, I mean, this 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 also ties into Sonic Mania as well because obviously they've they've had Christian Whitehead and Pagoda West and and Head Cannon do do Sonic Mania, and I'm just wondering whether Sega are going to keep them around and almost create almost like a retro team. So they go, right, you did well with Sonic Mania. Right, do, now do Echo. Now do this. And th- there's a potential there, I think, to to bring back a lot of the old old games again. Hey, hey, hey. How about a new Bonanza Bros? Oh, <laughs> Bonanza Bros. Or Dynamite Ducks. Dynamite Ducks. <laughs> you guys are showing your age. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would say Spy versus Spy, but they already tried that on Xbox, and it was awful. I mean, don't don't get me wrong, but Spy versus Spy, as it released, was a really good concept executed really badly, uh, and it's aged terribly. Uh, I mean, I know exactly what that game's trying to do, but there, there's so many different ways looking back that they could have done it that that would have, you know worked better it just was quite obtuse for a game yeah i i know that people who liked it loved it but i think everybody else was just like i don't get it but i'm gonna say it was really good <laughs> yeah but i mean i definitely think that the 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 what what i would i'd class as the older school of developers should definitely start looking more into their old franchise because there's all the companies have got so many franchises i mean obviously we can write off konami because all they're doing now is making oh we'll make a silent hill pachinko machine as, okay. lo- as long as as long as they don't go down that route and i i do think with the obviously the resurgence of you know very retro old indie games and things like uh, again sonic mania that's done you know gangbusters i think it's now a good time for companies to start going well you know we've got a lot of these things that we could bring back how about a new streets of rage dan yeah, no, very true. I mean, remember that it's not just us. Oh, sorry, it's not just you, old people, that are buying old games. Uh, exactly, it's getting it's, popular it's with also, the younger crowd as well. Yeah, I mean, there are there are there are younger people that are getting bought Sonic Mania right now that were born after Sonic Adventure came out and yeah. are playing this game, and it's something new and fresh to them. And there's people playing indie. I mean, I at Gamescom. I met people who were born after the PS1 came out, obviously, and talked to them about games and they're developing games and they, they've never played or heard of any of these brands that were long running and were staples before. Yeah. You know, and But they're seeing these games that were influenced by those. And so, yes, if there was a, a new Echo the Dolphin come out, people would be like, oh, I don't think I've ever heard of a game where you play as a dolphin before. This is pretty good. 
Yeah, you know? it would be a, a new thing again. It would be new again. So yeah, or a game where you play as a mallard and there are corkscrew penises. <laughs> if, if we're talking about games that need a revival, if I can put my own little personal thing in here, go ahead. Uh, so who could in six? So who could in six? I want to see a sequel to Suikoden. I love those games. If you haven't played them, I highly recommend yeah. checking them out. It's an old series. And actually, also, just to bring, to bring something up that was revealed just, I think, yesterday, Secret of Mana's getting a remake. Oh, yes. I look forward to that. See, uh, I, I think now is, is, is ripe to, you know, I mean, it, it goes against the grain because obviously people always say, well, we want new ideas. But I think with, you know, the mass, how, how many young, young, young people played Shovel Knight because it was a massive game and went, hmm, this looks interesting. This was influenced by NES games. I'm going to look up Nintendo and some of their old games and were massively, you know, found, you know, to them, brand new experiences that they'd never seen before. I think there is an untapped market there for people to go, well, you know the games you played now? They used to be better. Here you go. Have this game that we made 30 years ago. It looks better now. Have a, have a bash at that. And it would just, it would just re, 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 oh, God, I'm, I'm losing all my words today. I swear. But just re, reinvigorate, you know, a lot of these old things, you know, like I said, street, streets of rage, um, final fight. They could do a new one of them, although they've already done a couple of updates that when they was both rubbish. Um, but yeah, echo ghouls and ghosts. There's a lot of games that could be revived for yeah. sure. <laughs> I think we kind of strayed from the topic, but, um, I think, you know, you know, Dan, you should put out a poll. Yeah, see how many people are interested in Power Stone coming back. And, uh, you know, start your own little campaign there. I'll support you. <laughs> but going back to what Dan was saying about, you know, because Power Stone is basically an isometric Smash Brothers. And if they were to do one, they could they could easily glide in on the coattails of, of, of Smash Brothers and get it into a, a you know, a, a, an esports kind of level, Don't... I reckon. Don't forget as well that they already have Street Fighter, so they could just take Power Stone along and force it to have an audience. Yeah. Well, all, all they'd have to do is make a new Power Stone and put a few Street Fighter characters in it as as special unlockable characters, and yeah. then, you know, jobs are good. Uh, agreed. Agreed. Capcom, uh, checks in the post. Yes. But anyway, I think that's that's all from us uh, this week, ladies and gentlemen. So it's goodbye from me. And uh, obviously, once again, we'll go for the people. This week we had Dan. Goodbye. And George. That was such a thoughtful goodbye. Anyways, goodbye. <laughs> and Mr. Toby. Goodbye. And that's it. Goodbye from us at Big Boss Battle. See you next time. 